July and it is Demandism 2. Really excited to bring you yet yeah, second installment of um, us talking about our journey from lead generation to demand generation. Um, we've got a lot to cover today, which I hope is going to be really valuable. But please do answer questions throughout. We had a couple submitted like early before we got going um, in session, which I've already put into the deck that we're going to use to um, keep us on track today. So we'll answer that um, sort of mid midway through. And then we're going to be covering things like, is there still a place for SEO in the modern demand gen era? Um, how you can approach blog content and B2B content more generally to build demand. Um, email, email nurtures. Again, this is something that's like more traditional marketing, um, but is there a place for it in this whole more modern demand generation philosophy? Um, and then we're going to get a really actionable use case um, of how we launched a paid demand generation experiment that's been very successful for us. So, so kicking us off, we're going to talk about SEO. So I think this is an interesting one. And um, like we'll be very transparent. We've, we've taken the demand generation philosophy straight out of Chris Walker and Wine Labs playbook. Um, and he is not someone who is a massive advocate of um, SEO or, or investing in SEO or investing in like traditional blog content. Um, and so I just thought it was an interesting one to talk about because I still really believe that there is a place for SEO in the new demand gen era. And it's just about thinking of it in terms of where it sits within the demand gen strategy. So I like to think of it in two ways. You have your bucket one, which is you're capturing your demand. That's 1% of your total market that are actually in market at any one time. And then you have your bucket two, which is the 99% of your market. That's everyone else who's you need to be creating awareness for. Now, SEO is a tool for capturing the existing demand. So it plays into that whole 1% bucket, bucket one. And in terms of prioritizing like where you should focus on, because you know this, it's a very similar approach to kind of your Google ads and optimizing those and keeping them super relevant. It's all of the high intent stuff. So your key competitor comparison pages, um, these are things that actually are really powerful when you start out early doors as well to ride on the back of like better known brands. You can do things like three-way comparisons between yourself and your two largest competitors who are much better known than you. And this will help you pick up brand traffic from them. And I think the key is like when you're doing these tactics, like do them really in like a different way. Take the human approach, like all the good stuff that we talk about in demand gen, like don't write for Google, don't write robotically. Um, be human when you're comparing yourselves, don't be overly negative, be completely honest and transparent and like use these as opportunities to apply the playbook, but just and like change up the way that people are doing things. But I still think there's a massive place for it. We actually get what like up to 20 direct demo requests from some of those comparison pages a month, don't we? Um, and like once you start scaling that, it's just compounded impact. Um, there is a lot of value um, in capturing that 1% by really yeah, investing into that early on. And then the other place I would invest when it comes to SEO is like your highest intent, highest converting paid search terms. So launch your Google ads, high intent, high search, high quality search terms, understand which ones convert at the highest rate and then prioritize SEO content based on those. And that's something that we've done as well. And you know, you, you need to prioritize getting in position one to three for those key search terms. And if you just do competitors, highest intent, highest converting paid search terms, and then a few long tail high intent searches, you'll be in a really good spot. We're not saying like, we do invest a lot in SEO and we've seen a lot of compounding returns from it, but I'm not saying you necessarily need to do that. But I do believe that there's a lot of value in capturing that 1% 
that is out there looking um, and searching for terms that are super relevant to what you do. And this is a good way of prioritizing how you focus your efforts um, on that. Did if you guys have anything else you want to add on that front? No, that's no. good. Covered it well, but yeah, no, just to reiterate, um, I think for us, especially in um, like focusing on large companies, um, these like competitive pages have become for us in terms of intent. And um, I haven't, I think I didn't, wasn't paying such a close eye on them initially. And now, like, I'm just saying the more we work on them, the higher return we're getting. So I suppose it's like what you always tell us, Alice, like the whole don't set and forget these pages we need constantly, like updating um to drive that traffic so that would be my only point i think that's a really important point actually and it is all about prioritization so in the early days you need to think about like when you're getting this your demand your motion up and running you want to invest overly in the one percent first any tactic that's going to get you converting that one percent that's in market demand because that's what's going to keep you afloat while you build out everything you're doing on the 99 percent, which will then ultimately increase the amount of demand you bring in and then that one percent so I, you, and it's really important, like these, these things aren't set and forget. None of these strategies are like anything that we talk about needs to invest time investment. So you do need to think about like what resources required and where, where to put it. But I would always say just these three bits to focus on when it comes to SEO blog content, because this is another one, which I think is interesting. And you'll find like Chris Walker, Refine Labs, that kind of approach, they don't prioritize blog content. It's not something they, you know, would spend a lot of time and energy on. And we've definitely been on a journey with this at Cognizant in terms of like its place within our strategy and like how we look at it. You know, we, we definitely were, um, you know, we could, we could have been criticized like when I started for using our blog as the same sort of thing. We'd plan it out for sort of three months in advance. We would decide on titles, we would commit to them, we would post the blog and then we'd share it on LinkedIn and then we would just forget about it and it would just like be that would be job done and the KPI hit and that was all we really cared about. Um, and there was no real strategy behind it. And we know that that's not what our blog should be about anymore. Um, and it's probably important to note that in terms of how I've structured the team, the content team, we've actually split the team. So we have our SEOers and this, you know, SEO is a really technical, um, detailed you know, skill and you can't really do both of the things that I'm going to talk about. Um, and you do need focus. So we have our SEOs in the content team, and then we have what I call like our content journalists who are building out our media engine. Um, and our blog, it just becomes a key part of that broader media engine strategy. Um, we don't forward plan our blog content and ideas like going like months in advance or even weeks in advance. Um, there's no KPI on output. It should be written, we want all of our blog posts to be written by dedicated content writers that actually act as journalists. Um, and they're becoming complete subject matter experts in these areas, or they're interviewing our subject matter expert to get that quality content for them. Um, and it becomes, I think the reason why I still believe that blog content is valuable is it's great to have all this amazing, these amazing snippets and videos and other forms of content that you're putting out on paid social or organic social, but it's not always on searchable. And I think a big part of the philosophy around demand generation and like modern marketing is, as we know it, that we, we can't tell people what to consume when anymore. And like people want to consume stuff at, in their own time, at their own pace. And we'll talk about this later as well. Um, so it actually makes it really hard when the only place that you're showcasing that content is like in the moment in feed. And then you need to go 
to someone's profile, whether it be company or person, flick through their post history to try and find that great snippet that you know really resonated with you a couple of weeks back. That's really time consuming. What we want to create at Cognizant is that is that the blog becomes that searchable, always on hub for where all of that content lives and actually feeds the machine that then delivers it in feed in moment. Um, but they don't have to go back there to search and find that content. I feel like if you aren't doing that, you're kind of missing a trick. Um, so that's why I do feel like with the blog, it's super important to, to have it. You just need to rethink the strategy um, and you need to rethink what you're trying to achieve with it. And I, you can see on the graph, like since we've done that, um, kind of from November time last year, the massive uptake we've had on unique page views and also average time on page, which is like our biggest KPI. That's what tells us the content that we're putting out, the content that we're writing about is actually resonating. It is timely. Um, it is journalistic and it's kind of fulfilling all of the strategy there. Um, do you guys have anything more to add? Yeah, yeah. It, also, it also means that you get like, I think um, like the demand gen team and the content team work together really well because as like journalists, I'll be looking out for the story and stuff, but obviously we come across things that we want to talk about that we think is really cool as well. And the whole whole company can be. So then it's like everyone has a bit more of an input into, into that content, which I think is really important in comparison to that sort of like stereotypical planned out six months in advance, really rigid content plan that is just uh, writing stuff that's not exactly um, the most interesting thing for now and, and what people actually want to read about. But yeah, I, I think that's something I'd add to just it gets that it gets the whole team involved in the content um, process. Yeah, and it, it is hard to do, right? Let's not be, let's like not, yeah, we need to be honest about it. It's easier because we are marketing to marketers and salespeople. So we have a lot of internal resource that subject matter experts. We also have a subject matter expert that sits in the marketing team, but it, it takes a lot more effort to do it this way, right? Than just to say, I'm going to do desperate yeah. research on a topic and cover it, put it on the blog, post it on my LinkedIn, and there we go, job's done. But the, you can see the payoff in terms of what, like the difference in traffic, the difference in time on page and engagement. Ultimately, that's what we want. We want our content to be consumed. So it, it, it is worth it. You just need to like invest. Mm. I think, yeah, that's definitely true. Um, for us, um, since we've, as, as an enterprise, like, little marketing pod working on the enterprise segment um it's amazing like how many like ideas are born out of speaking to your own sales team in terms of what prospects are saying listening to customer calls and we say it like all the time like it's super important but that's where we've got our like real newsworthy like juicy pieces from where it's been like okay we've listened to x amount of calls we've spoken to our sales team our customers are saying this our prospects are mirroring that and it's kind of almost like they help you to identify what topics to go after first. So I'd say like spending that initial time and investment in doing that research is key, even if sometimes it feels like it's taking forever. Yeah, and then ultimately, if you just do what, if it's one blog that you end up doing that month, but it's top quality, that is so much better than having a KPI of four a month that actually no one, like barely anyone's reading. Um, and they just go to like the blog graveyard somewhere. So yeah, yeah. Okay, let's let's move on to next piece, which I think is actually one of your questions that we had pre-session. So I just wanted to answer this. It was around how to structure your team and what skill sets we need in like a demand generation organization. Obviously, preface this with the fact that um, we're really lucky. We're a team of 20 plus now. But when Liam and I started out the team, you know, we were what, three or four people. So it wasn't always that way. Um, but just to 
give you an idea of like what to keep I would say I definitely would want to have in-house and what you could outsource and um yeah how we kind of split that we have a content team we have as I said the writers those are the journalistic people and obviously you can scale that you know as much as your company in line with your company is scaling um, and then we have our SEO pros again that can be scaled in line with your company's scaling but I would split them out I would have focus I think that's really important um, and I also think if you are serious about the demand gen strategy and approach, then video has to be a part of that as well. And um, yeah, we have that sitting in our content team. And then product marketing. So again, I would say this is like an incredibly important role. It has to be internal. They are your avenue for success, for understanding your customers inside out, for understanding your messaging, your positioning, for delivering you um, amazing bottom of funnel content and product content that you're going to run on all of your demand gen campaigns. So Product marketing for us is like a critical, critical piece of the puzzle. And um, yeah, I'd want that in that team from like the absolute outset. Customer marketing. So we're really lucky that we're investing heavily in customer marketing. We've got to a size now where we have like, you know, thousands of customers and we really want to make sure that we're, um, you know, treating them in the, in the way that they deserve to be treated. And we're um, actually delivering the same amount of quality content and advice to our customers as we are to in our new business plays. So customer, and again, customer marketing feed us a lot of our advocacy content um, and they're a super powerful driver in our demand gen strategy as well. So uh, it can really play into both worlds. And then paid, this has been an interesting one for us. We flip-flopped over time with having this freelance, having this in-house. Um, you know, ultimately, if you have it freelance, you need to expect to pay good money for it. It's not set and forget. So any agency that says they can do it for a small amount of money, are probably not going to do it very well. Um, so if you are going to freelance it, I would recommend using something like Marketer Hire or something like that, where you have you can get really high quality um, experts working on it for you. But the thing that you will lose out on is having them be in your CRM and having them optimized for like what really matters, which ultimately is revenue. So we, I would say, we would still always lean to having this in house um, where possible. But you will it that is one of those that's difficult because a lot of these paid guys are either working on their own or they are in agencies so um find someone great and keep them there would probably be my top tip there um and then the demand gen unit so this is like the engine house and this is where we've got we've split it so we actually this is slightly changed since i put slide on because we move very quickly here at cognizant um we only have two segments now which is commercial and enterprise but we had it split out smb and mid-market plus slightly renamed but the same thing applies um mid market plus which is now enterprise that's a pod that's brands whole world um and she can cover that a bit more later in terms of how that operates we've got smb and then we have got the dac market split out because that's super that operates very separately it's very different very localized to how um everything else works and then we have our enablement piece and i mentioned the subject matter expert which we are really lucky to have. We've been trying it for the last quarter and we've kept them on now for another quarter. We're actually doubling up the amount of time we're spending with them this quarter to see if we can ramp it even further. But that subject matter expert powers everything across the whole spectrum of the marketing organization. So um, like an incredibly valuable asset, especially if you're marketing in an area where it, you are not your customer and it's really hard to get those insights. So. Previously, I was doing legal tech, you know, imagine having um, a, a lawyer full time work in your marketing team, helping you to drill out all of that content. I mean, it's like incredibly valuable. Uh, and then the next slide is just a look at where I think you can outsource. So 
um, operations, we actually have found like a really good combination here. We have a marketing ops, well, we have a RevOps team, which sits separately to marketing. We have a marketing ops person in-house. So I think that's really important, but we actually have outsourced um, to an agency, a lot of the more big picture stuff. Um, they're seeing instances and value that that knowledge can bring in terms of speeding up your learnings and speeding up what you prioritize and what you build is huge. So I feel like a winning combination there is to have agency plus an in-house A player. That would be like my two cents on that. Um, and then I've covered Google Ads and then CMS and web development. We still have this external, we don't have it internal, but we have invested a lot of time and energy on our CMS system, making it very scalable for ourselves. Like we've created um, a lot of templates and it's easy for us to access and use and scale. So we don't need a lot of support there. So I think that's also something to think about. Um, obviously, if you've got a more cumbersome setup and you might need someone full-time in-house. And then I've just put the last one to be innovation. So we're very happy to say we're recently a client now of Refine Labs. Um, and this was, a, we've just got to a stage of growth where we've been, you know, running the Refine Lab strategy just purely off listening to Chris Walker's podcast and whatever we can externally learn. Um, and we had like a, you know, sign off for a good number of heads that we could have put into place in H1 of this year, but at the same time, hugely aggressive targets and budgets that were going towards marketing. Um, and it was my feeling that in terms of scaling up a team um, and actually being able to hire the right talent in that time to have an impact on the targets wasn't the right approach. And we needed to learn faster. It's a bit like the whole operations piece. Like it would be much better for us to bring on refined labs. We would could stop guessing some of the more like actual like details of the things that we're doing and learn much quicker from people who are working on this every day. The SaaS companies like us scaling at our speed. Um, and so it was kind of a no brainer at this stage to actually outsource some of that innovation. Um, and now all of our team will be upskilled as a result of that. So we're really excited. It's very early days, but we'll keep you posted on how that's going as well and like how we work with them as that moves forward. And that's enough from me because I don't like to stop talking. <laughs> I think it's mine actually. Here we go, Fran. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I guess um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, some of the paid experiments we've been running and just provide everybody with something just super like tactical and, and hopefully some key takeaways. Um, so I hope it's useful. Um, so paid experiment um, that we've launched recently um, last quarter. So um, just to define what I mean, we mean in um, sometimes I don't want to get confused people with internal sort of naming conventions. So for us, a paid experiment is a paid ads campaign that is focused on generating direct demo requests. So we've just added like an example of something that we would typically run um, on LinkedIn. So, um, and also we, work, we do the same across other channels such as Facebook as well. But um, for the purpose of this, I'm just gonna focus on our LinkedIn um, experiment that we ran. So, um, so this is what we decided to test and why. So a typical ad, um, as you can see on the slide. Um, so it's your standard best practice. It uh, communicates ROI, um, gives like the most up-to-date data, um, and we aim to be like really value-driven. Um, and we basically, um, you know, put these out to our ICP or like a, to a retargeting audience, and then invite them for a demo. So it's your typical request for demo at the bottom. Um, we kind of got thinking about this, um, particularly for the enterprise segment um, as well, because we um, aren't as well known in that market. So we kind of thought, right, what, what can we do? So 
we, I'm just detailed from here, but, you know, although we're communicating the great benefits of using Cosmism, um, do our audience know what it's like to have a demo, like from us? Um, should a demo be the only way people can find out exactly what our product looks like, what it feels like, what workflows you can use? And do our audience, audiences only consume via static ads, which is a definite no, especially these days. So, um, yeah, I mean, answer to all of that is no. So, yeah, so this is kind of like what we introduced. So the idea um, was to provide an ad that was more human, showcased our product a lot more. Um, we didn't want to like particularly shy away from that and maybe just um, stand out a little bit, right? So I think we see a lot of everyone is on their phones on LinkedIn all of the time. There's a lot of ads like inviting people to a demo. Um, so we were trying to um, think outside the box and we did a lot of research and looked at what other companies were doing and, and sort of went with this, this approach. Um, so we asked our director of inside sales to record a video. Um, and there he is, lovely Dave Fempfum, who will love me for adding this screenshot. Um, so basically, the video calls out our retargeting audience. So we decided just to focus it on a retargeting audience. Um, he mentions, so he recognizes that, right? So he mentions that, um, you know, that we know they've engaged with us, like previously in some way. Um, he explains what to expect from a demo, like explains why it might be worth somebody's time. Um, people get emails like daily as inviting them to demos all the time from many different SaaS companies. Um, he also objection handles. So tries to, you know, explain that um, we, we want our audience to view a demo as an opportunity to learn from us and answer questions that maybe we haven't been able to answer already. Um, so we do, you know, we want to communicate that it isn't a hard sell. Um, and then also like delivers um, the core value proposition. So what it actually is, like why it's worth signing up. So um, that's sort of part one. So we got Dave to, a, he bought a camera and recorded this video, which is nice. Um, and then there's a second part of the experiment. Um, so paid, to, uh, paid experiment part two. Um, we actually also decided to record an ungated product demo. So show not tell, be pain point led. Um, we didn't want to, um, on this part, we didn't want to necessarily use the classic um, direct demo uh, CTA, we went for sign up instead. So the reason behind this is, and we get this objection a lot, should we, should you really be putting a demo out there, um, showcasing like the whole of your product? Does it stop people um, signing up for a demo anyway? Like for me, like, and, and we've talked about this a lot, the answer is no, like we don't have anything to hide. Um, we want people to view our product, like we're proud of like, what we're marketing so I don't know why we would necessarily want to to hide that and if people are genuinely interested and we and do think we can solve that pain point then they will definitely you know they're going to sign up for a 30-minute meeting with sales regardless so um so we decided to um to also do that so um we've got a video from our sales director and then we've got an ungated um product demo as well um so just to I guess just to get a little bit into the nitty-gritty and obviously happy to answer questions um, if anyone has any, because I know I'm probably whizzing through this, um, but this is how we chose to set it up. Um, so we've, just to set the scene, we've got a video to go live and we've got an ungated snippet of our ungated product tour to go live as well. So we're setting it up on LinkedIn. Um, we decided to test two objectives. So why not run it 
as a lead gen form. So you're almost signing up for, for a demo like in platform. Um, and then we also use the traditional web conversions approach. So click for a demo, go to your website, fill out the form. Um, so we wanted to, to kind of like test those against each other. Um, so audience wise, we used our website retargeting audience. Just to note, like we didn't segment this any further. We, we have tested this previously, but it's just really good to, for me, like to achieve like enough volume. And um, what we used to do is keep segmenting the retargeting audience um, a lot, like by quite a lot. So the um, audience pool would become like really small and it then becomes very difficult, especially on LinkedIn to actually optimize this. So we kept it as one big retargeting audience. Um, campaign objectives, as I just spoke about, so we had the traditional website conversion, but then we also wanted to test a lead gen form. Things like for ease, like a different way, like different way of like directing your audience. Um, your details will auto populate as well. It could be, and um, you're signing up in platform. We know people consume like a lot more in feed. So it's kind of that, that thinking is, is like, is that a more comfortable experience, for example? Um, so that was the reason why we tested one against the other. Um, ads, so we ran um, two versions of Dave's video and two versions of our ungated um, product tour, um, and that was just to serve the lead gen objective and the website conversion objective. Um, Budget-wise, so I've put this recommendation, but everyone's budgets are totally different. Um, 50 to $100 per day, you can also test on less. It doesn't have to necessarily be this much. Um, I guess the thing to note about budget is I... Um, I, well, we used to put low daily budgets on experiments. So we do like, we'd run it on a two week cycle. So we do $10 a day or $20 a day, maybe less. And the idea was that it would, we thought that that would help it, help the experiment. It would optimize for longer. We'd get more data. And really, I, you know, now thinking about it, we just want to test quick, like as quickly as possible and reach as many of our audiences as, as soon as possible and also um, hit that frequency number right as well because people don't usually just sign up from seeing your ad once. So we kind of now we look to just place higher daily budgets so whatever that might look like for you um, and then it will we serve it for like a shorter period of time but then we can start switching off what's working um, and putting more budget into what is. So for me, like my recommendation is test in a, on a shorter, shorter cycle. Um, and then um, you're sort of, I don't know, like I used to just let the experiment run for sort of weeks. And, and by that time, you've exhausted the budget and um, you've not really got that data to show for it. So, yeah, that would be my recommendation. Um, so this was our number one performer um, out of the two. Um, so basically just to talk about the objectives so like the website conversion versus the lead gen form conversion uh, yeah the lead gen forms of sign up um the website conversion actually won so we we realized that maybe the lead gen form it was just an idea that we had but it, you know the data showed that it didn't work as well so um so we found that yeah the, the campaigns um that optimized for like the web like the web conversions um you know, like the website, um, yeah, the website conversions got us more conversions. I'm stumbling over my words. Um, we saw a 225% increase um, in conversions based on like a normal static ad that we would run um, to our retargeting audience. Um, and then also like the captions that work best that we used, um, 
communicated the value, but I think Alice alluded to it earlier, is that human element. So um, explaining that a demo is an opportunity to learn, um, there's no hard sell. Um, and also a point to note, like Dave, when Dave recorded his video, I gave him a lot of direction and a lot of ideas and a, a little pretty hefty sort of script actually, and was like, this is what we, you, know, you need to be saying. And actually, um, Dave tried to record it so many times and he was getting a little bit frustrated because he was trying to get it pitch perfect. And he just recorded an off-the-cuff video in his own words and he made a little mistake like at the end, like was stumbling over his words, like a little bit like I was before. Um, and that was like the best performing video by far. And I think it just shows that like just being honest and human is definitely the way to go. Um, so that video definitely, yeah, I've written here, like we fluffed his lines, but it's the one that got us the most conversions. Um, also positive for us is we saw conversions from a thousand plus companies. So when you're heading up the enterprise marketing, this is a relief to see because it's tough to get these like big companies through the door. Um, so we didn't see loads. It was, it was only a couple, but it's like positive sign that um, that audience were responding. Um so yeah, and that's kind of where we were, um, where we sort of, that's what we found. This is kind of like where we are with this experiment. So we've put more budget now into Dave's video um, and also this product demo video as well, which worked really well. Um, it was actually, um, we have a landing page with like the full product demo on it, but this was like a little snippet. And this snippet that we ran as an ad worked particularly well. Um, because it just focused on one pain point and a pain point that particularly resonates with our sales audience, which is eliminating manual research. And because it had this like super laser sharp focus, I think that's why it's got the conversions. Um, and yeah, well, we've seen like signups um, and demo requests from that. So I think again, um, advice would be like where you can keep it simple with the messaging. Um, it's, it's really easy to say, well, I can solve all of these pain points or maybe you've got like, different products that can also serve like your ICP but I would always advise like focus on one um, and if you need to focus on the others like run them in a separate ad because it's really difficult um, I think to consume when you're trying to be all things to all people right so so yeah so that's the experiment that we ran um, I hope that's been helpful and maybe sparked some ideas for you guys but open to any questions how do you distribute blogs so this is a great question um, so, okay, the, 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 the key here is that it is not, we never now will just go to LinkedIn, link the blog, link, um, yeah, like a, just link the blog, link a, like the pull through, pull, pull through image and be like, job done, we've done that once, post it on LinkedIn, like blog distributed. Um, that's not what we do at all. So what we're trying to do with our blogs is that, as I said, but they form like the a key part of that media engine. So the blog should actually have video snippets within it. It should have actionable takeaways within it, like potentially templates, other things. And then from that, we end up having a super rich resource that we can use in three or four different LinkedIn posts. And what we find that performs the best are carousels. So again, this takes a lot more time, but our, um, you know, the member of the team who heads up social media, she'll spend a lot of time taking some of the most valuable points from the blogs, putting them into carousels and having them be consumed in feed for those people who are scrolling LinkedIn, 
don't want to leave LinkedIn right now, but actually could do with like, you know, a couple of nuggets from the blog that would be really interesting to them. They might copy and paste the link to that blog, that, that post into their Slack or whatever it might be to read the full thing at later date. That's what I do all the time. But in that moment, they're able to consume a substantial amount of content that we've broken up into a digestible format that they can take on board in feed in LinkedIn. Um, and LinkedIn's our primary channel for that. We've experimented with like Reddit and um, other things that were taking a lot of time and energy. But ultimately, if you can double down on doing LinkedIn really well, um, I think that's better. And then we also use like key people within the organization's profiles as well, which can we can help by pushing out some of that content and then also the newsletter. So we have three newsletters. We have a sales digest, which is all around sales content, content digest, all content led about con everything we're doing in content marketing. And then we have our demand gen newsletter. So um, we will take those blogs that are perform that have performed the best, we feel like have got the most valuable content um, and we can repurpose them into content for the newsletter. Or it might be that actually we write for the newsletter first, which is often what we do because we want to have give our newsletter audience like first view on these things. And then we might repurpose that into a blog and then we might snippet it up for LinkedIn. So there's just lots of different ways in which you can approach that. Um, and that would be kind of, that's really the key motion on distribution for blogs. But we lead with value. We never ever just do um, article link, pull through image, tiny bit of blurb, like it just doesn't work. Um, you have to invest, go to our LinkedIn, um, look at our posts. Those are the formats that are working for us. Carousels, long form content, and then a nice video underneath as well. Um, those are really the two things that work really, really well. So recommend that. Anything else from you guys on that? Nope. Okay. Um, when, how did you scale the marketing team before or after the Series C? So before, um, and it's been gradual, like it's, it's not ever something that just happens overnight. Um, really lucky that we have a CEO who believes in marketing. He invests very heavily in it. Um, and he's always been happy for us to like, yeah, invest in that way and invest in our people. So um, we've been able to build out like a, a very good team for our size. Um, and I would and I would say in terms of how I've approached that, it has been focusing on like we had to have product marketing, we had to get that right, and we had to have some generalists in the demand generation team, and then we had to have some um, very good content people. And those were like the pillars for me that I wanted to get right early doors, and then through that, you can scale the rest. Like, wh what are the things that are working for you? What are the key strategies and drivers that are delivering you the most revenue? Um, and it might be that it's SEO and content, or it might be that actually it's a lot of this, your demand gen play and you need to double down there. So, um, you know, you really need to kind of work that out for whatever that your organization looks like. But I would say that you want to definitely invest in those three areas early on. Um, that would be the priority from my view. Anything else? I don't know, you guys? Um, I don't think so. I would say like from previous companies that I've worked at, I think there's definitely been a lack of um, the product marketing um, efforts and um, or they've been there, but the relationship, they haven't sat like maybe like necessarily within our team and we haven't worked as direct um, directly as we should have. And I've seen like particularly over the last like six to eight months, like the impact um, that has had on our bottom of funnel content, we're talking more openly about our product and all, you know, everything that it can do. And I think it just really helps to um, align the team and give, like, gives us like great ideas as well. So. Mm -hmm. 
I'd also add in how much, and maybe we got this a little bit later, but like marketing ops and how much that has <laughs> taken us like that bit further um, and like set us up to actually scale and for success. Um, uh, and that was something like at the beginning, like we managed, but um, now it's made like a huge difference having someone who's really hot on that and um, is really taking the team further. Great. Shall we go into your bit? Emails. Yes. Liam loves the email, so it's going to be good. The email by, from the very beginning, was me. <laughs> um, which actually, so I'm sort of like structuring this kind of like, um, I suppose, then and now, and and what I think is like an email playbook based off of what is really like a lead gen model um and what we're all like especially when I was started out like what we're all trained to do and and told to do and like how email is supposed to work um in that but um actually do you find it find when you really look at it and when you start looking at from like a demand gen lens that um it's not really appropriate it doesn't really work for like how people buy or anything like that so but when we started, anyway, we were plowing on ahead with the the usual playbook, the lead gen sort of playbook. So we were generating a huge amount of contact data from our lead gen campaigns in um, from LinkedIn, uh, especially. Um, and I, what we did was we blended like uh, email really well and like created an email nurture for pretty much every piece of content that we had going um, based out on themes. Some of them are quite complex, trying to um, trying to sort of like account for like um, nurture everything before we sent it over to sales. Um, uh, and it was hugely time consuming and, and a lot of work, but it was like what was, you know, typically best practice. Um, but we stopped doing that. And why? Because obviously there's no intent on the lead gen form fill so the email engagement has really no effect on the propensity to buy if we're honest uh we you know used to sell sort of like this touch points idea right that you the more touch points you have the more likely they're going to book a meeting and stuff like that but um really like not if you're only getting like 20 percent of people open an email on a on a good day um do you like are, do those touch points really exist you know they've just downloaded uh a piece of content it doesn't mean that they're they're then going on to buy it was a huge amount of upkeep for negligible award reward like every time we sort of looked into whether you know if they'd passed through a nurture rather than gone directly to a sales rep whether um that increased any conversion rates like you that we couldn't find anything um and that's there's a lot of emails to write we have different marketing personas so we want them to receive different email like different personas between marketing sales and people to receive different emails based on that we've got downloading different content we want them to it to continue that theme it was just a lot of work um and then that continues to get more complex as you scale and you your content engine gets better and better and you create more and more content so um it really was like it's a lot of work to keep up keeps so we can we really can you know keep it going without um you know investing in the team to do that um and then we wanted to, in general, always want to reduce the amount of emails we send people, right? Because uh, sending an email is like email marketing is super personal, um, and we don't want to be a company that's spamming people 
um, and just uh, coming like I think at one point you know sometimes you like realize that you've seen that someone's been sent like four emails in a day and, and that's just really way too many um, um, so that's like another reason why we wanted to stop um, and then the main thing there is and why it doesn't have any effect I think on people's potential buys because the buying funnel is not actually linear and email nurtures are not how people buy you don't see an email and think I'm going to wait two days and then hope that you see another email that might convince you um, it just doesn't work like that at all um, you might make all of your decisions in five minutes or you might take a month uh, and you might miss several emails in the sequence so it just didn't really it doesn't make sense in today's world and I, I do actually think it was just they're just set up for how the for the tech companies selling them rather than for the um for how people buy at all um so but i still think there's a place for email nurtures um and there's still it's still a different way of delivering a message it's just how you execute them um so what we do now is we've simplified the number of email nurtures that we have and we've made them like a lot more general um for one which is helps us massively on the um on on like the amount of work that we put in um and we like to try and take the the nurture beyond email so you know those people who have fallen into that nurture like we want to deliver them ads as well so we've we add like we've added like that sort of a, uh element to it so we upload we've uploaded lists um into um and got match lists on facebook and linkedin and served people ads alongside the um same uh theme of the nurture there um well, I'll also talk about like another idea where we're looking at taking that nurture on demand and like putting it on um, the uh, a, like a landing page as well for people to access as and when um, they want to rather than on this specified schedule that we've given them in the nurture. Um, so when we simplify our nurtures, we look at like our closed loss, we've created a closed loss ops nurture, which is automated and triggers after three months of a closed loss. We have like an inbound nurture, which triggers immediately after someone um, submits a demo request. Then we categorize a lot of the, the other data that we have in the in in the CR um, and part of like an marketing automation. It's like general nurture for sort of all those post webinar and any like remaining lead gen that we've got. Um, and and then we've got like a lifecycle nurture, which we trigger uh, on scores and stage, and then uh, campaigns for renewal and expansion as well. Um, it's keeping them super simple, super tight with like a real purpose for each one. Um, so what we changed and the main thing is because we were collecting less emails, so we don't actually warrant endless email nurtures as well. We can we can spend more time and make them more um, uh, on like like fewer and better ones. Um, and we want to like focus on impacting at like actual stages of the buying process as as opposed to just kind of trying to create touch points um so here's some like there's some examples from like the the inbound nurture um there's so we just and some of them are just super simple right they're just it's all about just like really having uh, an effect like the right effect that you want um at the time of that buying process and if someone um submits demo we instantly want to you know, thank them for that, give them another way of reaching out to us if anything gets lost. And we also want to get them to take other positive actions, things that they might find helpful as well, like following us on uh, social um, so that we can, that, and if we get them to follow us on social, then we've got another way of communicating with them, not just relying 
on email. Um, so some of what I would say is emails, um, best practices uh, and things that I would put into the email nurture, maybe my best practices for an email nurture now is um, things to avoid is any forms or data capture. I think I was thinking of this and the amount of emails you see where you click on something and it will still take you through to a form. And it's just because you want to see that they've taken an action or do something um, and register it, but you've already got their data. Don't poach them through anything more. Um, for me, that that's just like a big no-no. Um, any early product or demo requests, if, if they haven't already submitted one, like um, just, I think, you know, people are, like how often would you, I think the best way to look at it is how often would you buy from an email just that comes up um, asking if you want to submit a demo. It's much like running demo ads to cold audiences on social media. It doesn't work. People aren't in their inbox looking to um, submit demo requests as they don't go on social media to, to do the same. So I don't see there's any point in that unless it's like a signing off email um, where you're just saying sort of like you're goodbye and you're just giving someone an option uh, to find out more. Um, and then any email that is just boring, basically <laughs> boring or spammy, there's no point. I think when you're going into someone's inbox, it's like you're taking a step into their living room and you've got to take your shoes off and make an impact and be uh, super exciting like you like it's super personal and I just think if you come in and you're boring or spammy or something I would just uh, be relevant to someone or um, annoy them if anything um, and then things that I would definitely focus on is value 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 not promotion like I said you're stepping into someone's living room you want to be offering them something upfront always um, and the actions you're asking you, if you're going to ask them to take any actions you want them to be light and of purpose to them um, fun, engaging copy. So this is the first email uh, in the green box. Is the first email that um, comes out from our closed off stops nurture. We follow like a dating theme, like someone's uh, like uh, they've just broken up with us, and uh, we've uh, we're actually not okay with it, but we're pretending that we are. Um, now we get great responses from this. Um, we actually have revived quite a few opportunities from it as well. It's in three months after the, the opportunity is, is lost. Um, people love it just because it comes into their inbox and it's actually like, of in, like it's something different. It makes them laugh, they can engage. We've got a really small action asked there again to get them to follow us on social. So we've got another way of keeping them in contact. And by having such fun, engaging copy on the email, um, it means that people like, you know, want to see more of what we've got um, on social. Um, I think the other thing is that email is uh, really hard to share, like really hard to share. Um, it's very, it goes into someone's inbox. It's not like uh, on social where you could just comment something or you can actually, and, and that would share it automatically with their network or they can share it themselves. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't aim to be shared. So you, you want to be able to like, like write an email that's worth them like forwarding on to someone else or in this case of this email and this has happened a couple of times but this one really went viral it's then shared again on linkedin um and now everyone's seen this email uh and we've really like it's like great content then because it's like we've like managed to get it just from that from the individual person's inbox out to the world as well for loads of people to see um 
Uh, and then I think if you're going to do any sort of like offers or you want people to take um, or you're trying to get them to action, it's great. And if you look at like, I always like compare this to B2C, like, and B2B, we should look to B2C for like more ideas and like emails that I respond to and I know that work are promotional offers. Ones that sort of reward you for being in the sequence, right? So you've somehow ended up here. Uh, and if you're going to email me, I want something special. And that's and that's when when people respond. So I think promotional offers are a great thing to deliver via email. And then just trying to get people to take any other positive actions. So we'll just like, sometimes the ask will be something as small as following social you know, why don't you oh, check out our podcast and subscribe, um, follow like uh, the same for like newsletters, things like that. Really small actions that are actually just equally beneficial to to to, to both of us, like you and the prospect. Um, I think they're great ways to use email as well. And then finally, I'll go over sort of future plans and ideas. So, um, Something that we've been thinking about based, and we, uh, I think Alice found this um, post on, on social from uh, Mikhail, like talking about how one of the main problems with nurtures, and I discussed this earlier, is that they, you know, it's, it's all to your schedule um, and it doesn't really take into account the prospects at all. Um, so, and I was thinking about this in terms of like TV, how you can have, you have TV um, on uh, like live TV on schedule, but then you have it on demand and there's nothing uh, to say why you can't do the same um, for email nurtures and create an on-demand nurture um, where you can lead people there via email, but they can consume the information as and when they want. Um, and, and that's the, and, but you could also still have that nurture running in the background with individual messaging and stuff, but not, uh, prescribing someone to to read the content when you want them to always linking back to this on-demand nurture um, and this is something we really want to try um, and build something really engaging for so that's like a next step for us um, and we're also looking at some of email nurtures to ops based on their stage as well to help expand the reach within the buying committee so this is where you can really use email data or contact data if you've got it to try and like grow an account um, using um, Nurture as well and would probably want to apply this sort of on-demand sort of like element to that as well to, to really make it work. Um, and that is me, really. Amazing. Good timing as well. Got, um, got a date with Chris Walker. I'm going live with a coin lapse. So, um, <laughs> Dreams do come true, Alice. <laughs> get back over there. I'm going to be talking about our journey from degeneration to demand gen so that'd be cool um but i hope that was interesting for everyone please feedback to us like we really want to um evolve these sessions so they're as helpful as possible and yeah we're gonna keep these going so a couple of weeks time we'll, we'll do another one and we'll get super tactical again and deep dive some other topics and again reach out let us know if there's things that you specifically want us to go into detail in um any ways we can improve we're here to help you guys um yeah hopefully it was a good session you enjoyed it and look forward to seeing you again thanks everyone and thanks Fran. thanks liam yeah thank you so much and if you don't um if we haven't been able to answer any questions or you think of any please do like reach out to us on linkedin and drop us a message and we'll be more than happy to reply um yeah so thank you